Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.com or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here's Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello, this is Pastor Visser, and I'd like to talk to you this morning on the topic of Enoch's Walk of Life. For we find a very important teaching in the book of Hebrews. That is the New Testament book of Hebrews. It's found in the 11th chapter. The 11th chapter of Hebrews is considered by many a theologian to be the faith hall of fame, quote-unquote, meaning that those who graced the pages of Hebrews, chapter 11, are all those who lived and walked in faith. They were found worthy of Yahweh God. So keep in mind, dear kinsfolk, that a majority of Christendom does not understand who wrote the book of Hebrews. But many attribute its author to be Paul. That is the same Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament. So without further ado, we should begin reading in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. They read as such. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. So we understand that Enoch graces the pages of Hebrews chapter 11. And the reason Enoch is found there is because he obviously, and scripturally, most importantly, pleased Yahweh God, meaning that he walked in the ways that Yahweh God hath designed for all men to walk. And because Enoch had faith, he was able to please God. And so before continuing on, let's look at several aspects of verse 5. Let's notice firstly that Enoch walked with God for 300 years. And many would come along and want to digress on this point and say, well, you know, years doesn't really mean years or what have you, but we'll not make that same mistake ourselves. Secondly, Enoch was translated, quote-unquote, that he should not see death in his generation. And I'll be getting to several of those examples this morning. So we should understand that it was Enoch who straightforwardly abode within the teaching of Jesus Christ many years before Jesus Christ even walked the earth. That is, that Enoch was special to God, and Enoch was translated. Enoch never tasted of death, that is, a physical death, because It was God who had taken him, and God took him for a specific purpose. But nonetheless, it was because of that. He was translated that he should not see death in his generation, and he did not. Thirdly, he could not be found because God had translated him. Understand that in the fifth chapter of Genesis, it confirms this fact, and we'll cover that momentarily. But fourth, he had testimony that pleased God. By being a man of faith, and therein lies the key. Faith should lead to action, and that is the reason why the writer of Hebrews begins the 11th chapter. By stating, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so, right first and foremost, it is confirmed what faith is. And the Christian believer is told that faith is the substance or the groundwork, the confidence, the belief in, those things hoped for. And it is also the evidence of those things not seen. We understand that in Scripture we're told that um, all things that are created by God are understood by Him, and that all those who are created by God are clearly able to see God's creation, because the blindness of vanity has not blinded their eyes. And so that is the way chapter 11 begins. And then after this statement, the author of Hebrews gives an example. And it's found within the third verse. It reads as such. 
Through faith, we, that is the Christian believer, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear, meaning that it was God who created matter. It is man himself who cannot truly invent or create anything. Rather, they can take those things that Yahweh God hath already created good in the beginning and pervert them, twist them, miscegenate them, and call them something that is his, when in reality it is not. The earth and the fullness thereof belong to Yahweh God. But an example of creative faith is this. Faith understands that the worlds, and there are many worlds and world ages, they were both framed by the word of God, so we should not marvel when the beginning of the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We should also not marvel later on in that same chapter when that word becomes made flesh and dwelt among man. We understand that Joshua Messiah is Yahweh manifest in flesh form. That is faith. That is something that man must have faith within the word. Because the reality is the world will come along and say, well, Jesus Christ doesn't exist, and how barbaric are you to believe in the precepts or the law of God? Nonetheless, you are accountable for what you choose to accept as truth. It is faith that understands the world was framed by the word of God. More specifically, it is Yahweh God who spoke the worlds into existence. Indeed, does not the very first chapter and the very first verse of the Bible read as such? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. It does not say how he did that. It did not say 6,000 years or 6 days. Rather, it says he created it. And so faith believes that God could speak the world into existence. Lack of faith is man who will come along and say, Well, I don't understand how God can create the world in 6 days or even 6,000 days or on and on the list goes. That is not faith. Faith believes that God can merely speak it. And it will be done. So, the creative faith of God is this. We understand that God spoke the world into existence. So, the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And then, the author of Hebrews continues to give an example, and he gives an example of Abel. He says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. So Abel is an example of faith. He had faith within the sacrifice. He had faith in the ways of God. For example, it was Yahweh God in the very beginning who came along and told Adam and Eve of every proverbial tree that is in the garden you may partake of, save this one. But rebellion was obviously hardwired within the heart of man, and Adam and Eve went out and transgressed against their God. They do not have faith within the word of God, the same word of God who says you will die if you do as such. That is the reason why the serpent was able to come along and enchant or beguile Adam and Eve. And that's the reason why in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, it reads as such, they, referencing Adam and Eve, that is Abel's parents, they heard the voice of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God amongst the trees of the garden. What can we learn from verse 8? We can learn that God walked with Adam and Eve during this time. Later, after the curses are placed upon the heads of Adam, Eve, and the serpent, and they're driven out, we understand that God no longer walked with Adam and Eve, and that's an entire study in and of itself, dear kinsfolk, for I hope to teach you from the gospel of Adam and Eve, that is, according to the lost books, for there's much wisdom to be found within that, and that what is the original sin or the beguilement of Eve, we should not be drawn aside. Adam and Eve did not have the faith that was required, but Abel did. Abel obviously understood that a sacrifice required blood, Moreover, a sacrifice required sacrifice on the part of he who is bringing a tithe or an offering to Yahweh God. A blood sacrifice, and Abel was able to understand that. Cain was not. But nonetheless, whatever it was, we understand from Scripture that Yahweh God was not pleased with the offering of Cain. He had pleasure in Abel, and the Christian is taught why in Hebrews chapter 11. It is because Abel had faith. 
And so we understand that Abel had faith within the very sacrifice itself. He was not as Cain who came along and said, here's some fruit. He came along and he offered the best of his flock. But it was faith. He had faith within that. And so we read much later on in Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, who Enoch is and why God took him. And that is where I would like to get to this morning. Because what I want to teach you, dear kinsfolk, is the reason and purpose for Enoch's existence. The reason why God took Enoch. For the average Christian or Christian identist understands that it is faith just like Abel and Abraham and Noah and many others that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. But faith, like always, leads to action. It was Abel's faith within the sacrifice that led him to give a pleasing sacrifice to Yahweh. And it was Enoch's faith in Yahweh God that he was translated and never tasted of death. The promise that was made by Jesus Christ to all that believe upon him. It is not Jesus Christ who differentiates whether he is God or not. It is man who comes along and muddies it up and says, well, Jesus Christ is the son of God. And the list is endless. He had faith within Yahweh God enough to stand upon the promise. And that is the reason why. Genesis chapter 5 verse 21 reads as such. Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years, that is three hundred sixty-five. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And for the most part, in the minds of the average Christian, that is the point in which Enoch drops out of Scripture for them. But Enoch is mentioned several other places. And, perhaps most importantly, Enoch is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 as an example of faith. Enoch had faith within the promises of God, the word of God, for it's already confirmed in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6, that he had the testimony. He understood the charge, but why was it he was taken? And so going back to that verse, understand that it continues on. We understand that by faith Enoch was translated or taken, that he never died a physical death per se. And he should not see it. He was not found that is found among the world or among men because God had translated him and took him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. How do we please God? We obey his commandments. It is Jesus Christ who says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Because it is also Yahweh God says that if you will hearken unto my words and do as I say, I will bless you. But if you are rebellious and you do not do that which is pleasing to me, I will cast ye out. Or cast you out as an abominable branch. But verse 6 continues in Hebrews 11, and it explains the necessity of faith. It reads as such. Without faith it is impossible to please him. That is God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we understand that from the previous example, Enoch believed in at least two things. First and foremost, and most importantly, he believed that God is. The way a man is to come along and say, well, I can't see God. You can't prove God. And indeed, science cannot prove God any more than they can prove Abraham Lincoln. But the duty of a Christian is to be meek, humble, understanding that we're not arrogant. We're not know-it-alls as Satan is or his followers. The way of man is to lift themselves up and say, well, there's got to be a logical reason. The way of spiritual man is to come along and have faith. And so understand this teaching, this concept. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, period. That is James, the brother of Jesus Christ, who in a latter epistle says, faith without works is dead. And so that is the reason why. Faith moved Abel to bring a sacrifice. Faith moved Noah to move. Move with fear, quote-unquote, according to verse 7 in Hebrews 11, to prepare an ark to the saving of his own house. And it was faith that Enoch had. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And if you come to God, you must believe that he is. And why would the writer of Hebrews put this in here? He puts it in there so you will understand that there are many imposters. There are many stage players, that is, hypocrites, just like there were in the times of Jesus Christ, that is, the Pharisee will come along and stage play, pretend to be a Christian. 
And they may pray even to what they believe is a God. But if it's not the God of Israel, well, there can spoke. It's certainly not the God of this Bible. And perhaps you have gone through this in your own life. Perhaps you understand that many will come along and believe wholeheartedly in a lie and something that's not completely written in Scripture. But it is written in Scripture that Enoch pleased God and Enoch was taken. So much so he was translated. The reason why is because Enoch believed that God was. Believed that God is. And more than that, Enoch believed that Yahweh is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So do you seek Yahweh God, dear kinsfolk, as did Enoch? Or are you like a majority of the world and say, well, prove God to me? Well, there's very little that can be done for the apostate believer who comes along and has that mindset. For it does not matter how many truths you show them in the word of God. It does not matter how many times you quote them, John chapter 8, or Luke chapter 19, verse 27, and so forth. It does not matter. They will wholeheartedly believe in the lie. Because their own lack of faith. Enoch had faith. He believed that he was, first and foremost, and that he was a rewarder of those that seek him. Not a rewarder of the apostate. Not a rewarder of the idolatrous, the sodomite. Or the adulterers within our land. Oh no, dear kinfolk. Yahweh is a rewarder of the righteous. And that is the reason why Enoch was considered righteous. And so what happens to Enoch? For the most part, the average Judeo-Christian will tell you that he drops from scripture. But that's certainly not the case. Enoch was taken for a particular purpose, and if you'll turn to the general epistle of Jude, that is only one chapter, and that precedes Revelation. It's the second to the last book in the entire Bible. And begin reading in the 14th verse, it reads as such, or Jude says, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. Who's these? That is the false prophets, that is the apostates. Those are the rudiments that will be taken. At the conclusion of the second earth age. Enoch prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that there are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Against who? Against God. Against the true Christ. Not the false rock. So we understand that Enoch was taken, and he was taken for a specific purpose. Enoch was taken so that he could write the book of Enoch. And perhaps most important is the fact that the book of Enoch was written for a latter era. So during the times of Jesus Christ and the times of the latter apostles like John and Peter, we understand that the book of Enoch was canon. It was considered scripture, so much so that Peter and Jude can quote from Enoch, Enoch's very own book. And there are several volumes to the works of Enoch. There's the book of Enoch. There are the secrets of Enoch. There are many other fragments attributed to Enoch. But Enoch at one time was scripture and Enoch was taken out of the quote-unquote canon. And perhaps the most interesting part of all of this is Enoch's teaching and who it is for. And so we read in the very first book of Enoch, that is the book of the Watchers, or the Gregory, in chapter 1, we can straightforwardly read in Enoch's own words. It says this, The words of the blessing of Enoch, wherewith he blessed the elect and righteous, who will be living in the day of tribulation, when all the wicked and godless are to be removed. And he took up his parable and said, Enoch, a righteous man whose eyes were opened by God, saw the vision of the Holy One in the heavens, which the angel showed me. And from them I heard everything, and from them I understood as I saw. But, not for this generation, but for a remote one, which is for to come. So it was Enoch, there in the very beginning. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, who prophesied of these, who said these very words, and we'll get to those momentarily. It was Enoch who was chosen at the very beginning to have visions for us at the end of this earth age, or during the apostasy, what Enoch considers a great tribulation. And indeed, many angels showed Enoch many things. And perhaps one of the most fearful aspects of this were the watchers, the Gregories, those who followed in the chapter after 
Genesis chapter 5, which mentioned Enoch, those who did fall and what happened. For in Genesis chapter 6, we learn that there was a day when the sons of God, and according to Job, we understand that the sons of God are the morning stars. When those morning stars fell, they took from among the daughters of Adam all that they pleased. And they brought forth the Nephilim, or the Nephilim, and it was from those Nephilim that the watchers, or the Gregory, were judged. They also were taken, as was Enoch, but they were taken and held in everlasting chains. Reserved unto darkness, as Second Peter and Jude both say. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the midst of blackness forever. We learn from the visions of Enoch that the spirits of these Nephilim, or the Gregory, the watchers whose faces were withered, who were kept in perpetual darkness and perpetual silence, were free to roam the earth. And that is where demons come from. Demons are literal. So the way of the single seed liner imposter is to come along and tell you, well, you know, there is no devil. That is the reason why they work against the words and the prophecies of Enoch. Enoch continues in verse 3, that is, the book of Enoch, chapter 1, referencing watchers. Verse 3, concerning the elect I, that is Enoch speaking, I said, and I took up my parable concerning them, and he is about to explain. He is about to explain the same exact thing that Peter did and Jude did. He begins by saying, The Holy One, that is Yahweh God, or Jesus Christ, if you will, the Holy One will come forth from His dwelling, and the eternal God will tread upon the earth, even on Mount Sinai, and appear from His camp, and appear in the strength of His might from the heaven of heavens, that is the abode of God, that is the throne of God, that is the unapproachable throne of God that man desires to seek by sending airplanes, and shuttles into space, and so forth. He will come. He will come down, and <laughs> many will be dismayed, will they not, when they see God, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses. That is the point in which Enoch is discussing here, the latter age, the age in which we live in now. He will come from the heaven of heavens. We understand that heaven is wherever Yahweh God dwells. And so when he brings his kingdom, that is himself, to earth, we understand the kingdom of heaven is established here on earth. Verse 5, And all shall be smitten with fear, and the watchers shall quake, or awake. Understand that it is at this point that the watchers awake. So in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, when Jesus Christ comes along and says, In those days, the days of tribulation, the same days that Enoch is discussing here in chapter 1 of his book, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. We're discussing the same thing. The watchers shall quake, those fallen stars. And what? And great fear and trembling shall seize them under the ends of the earth. And the high mountains shall be shaken, and the high hills shall be made low. And shall melt like wax before the flame. Oh, indeed, we understand that our scripture, that is the New Testament and the Old, both attribute Jesus Christ, or Yahshua Messiah, or Yahweh, take your pick, all of which to fire, consuming fire, if you will, or electricity. Consider the statement of Jesus Christ, who says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Consider the ark that went before the children of Israel, that carried within it the covenant, that is the law of God. It was activated by what? Indeed, by faith, the same thing that translated Enoch. Faith within the word, faith within God, and faith enough to know they'll never taste of death. And so it is Enoch here, who, like Zephaniah, like Habakkuk, like many of the minor prophets, especially Obadiah, is referencing the great and terrible day of the Lord, quote-unquote. And during that day, there are many things that will melt like wax before the flame. Verse 7. And the earth shall be wholly rent in sunder, and all that is upon the earth shall perish, and there shall be a judgment upon all men. So understand, this is the establishment of the third and final earth age. This is the removal of all the rudiments or things that offend Yahweh God. Enoch does not come along and say the earth will be obliterated and destroyed. He says that it will be rent in sunder, turned upon its own axes, if you will, turned upside down from how man has it now, and the earth, that is that earth age, shall perish. It shall be done away. And when that age perishes, when all knees bow, we must understand that every tongue will confess indeed. But it is at that point that Jesus Christ himself will separate the goats 
from the sheep. The sheep are those who are faithful. The sheep are those who understand the parable of the sheep and the shepherd. The parable of the good shepherd where Jesus Christ comes along and says, My sheep know my voice. They hear me. They follow me. And they won't hearken unto the voice of a stranger or a nokri or an ethnos or what have you. They only hearken unto the word. And Enoch is part of that word. Enoch is talking here about the end of time. A time that is not far off from our era, dear kinsfolk. A time of judgment. That is judgment day. And Enoch continues in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, with the righteous he will make peace. That is Yahweh. Yahweh will make peace with the righteous. And he will protect the elect. And mercy shall be upon them, and they shall all belong to God, and they shall be prospered. Where? That is on earth. And they shall all be blessed. By who? That is Yahweh God. And so I partially covered this last weekend, did I not, dear kinsfolk? That is the promises from Yahweh God. That is Mark 13, when Jesus Christ comes and establishes his reign on earth. It is a day in which the elect... The angels go out and they gather the elect from the four corners of the earth, indeed, but it is the day that the elect cash in their chips. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com, where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts. You can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, he will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Judgment Day is not a terrible day for us. It is the great and terrible day of the Lord. It is great for the Zadok, the elect, and terrible for the heathen. That is the apostate. That is the atheist. And Enoch teaches no different here. He says they'll be prospered on earth as it is in heaven and they'll be blessed and Yahweh God will help them all and light shall appear unto them and he will make peace with them light will appear indeed just like Jesus Christ taught I am the light of the world no man cometh unto the Father except by me or through me many teachings on the light we understand that in the very beginning after the catapult in the very beginning Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, that is during the Katabol or the Tohu we understand that there was darkness upon the face of the deep. And Yahweh God's first act was to say, let there be light. That is a creation of a Savior. For all things revolve around the sun. And without the sun, more specifically without Jesus Christ, nothing will live. All things will wither. And that is what Enoch is teaching here, is it not? A light will appear unto them, that eternal light that will never go out, world without end, amen, it will be with him, who? The elect. And he, that is Yahweh God, will make peace with them. He does not make peace with the infidel, he does not make peace with the infeminate, the sodomite, the whoremonger, and so forth. Those are outside the gate. But understand, next verse, verse 9, it reads as such, And, behold, he, that is Yahweh God, cometh with ten thousands of his holy ones, who? The saints. What do they do? They come to execute judgment upon all and to destroy the ungodly and to convict all flesh of all the works of their ungodliness which they have ungodly committed and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That is Yahweh God and that is the reason why it reads straightforwardly there in the general epistle of Jew, general at least according to the tribes of Israel or those who are sealed according to the very first two chapters of Revelation. It reads as such, verse 14, Enoch also, seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, the false prophets, the apostate, saying, Behold, Yahweh cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So, 
that is the reason why Enoch was taken. So you would have these books, so you would understand what will happen at the closing of this earth age. Yahweh comes back, and the rudiments are destroyed. Yahweh is attributed to a light. He's attributed to a fire. He's attributed to a living God. But many amongst us are spiritually dead. And it was no different in the times of Noah. It was no different in the times of Abel. It was most especially not any different during the times of Enoch. Enoch left his family, left his family behind so that he could receive visions. And Enoch received visions for the end time, for the days preceding the tribulation and the days of the tribulation, which makes Enoch's testimony more important in this latter era, in this year, 2009. You should familiarize yourself with the words of Enoch. You should try to understand that Enoch has several books. Another such book that is attributed to Enoch are the secrets of Enoch. And that has recently been reissued in the lost books of the Bible and the forgotten books of Eden. And I intend on bringing a sermon, as I aforementioned, on the Gospel of Adam and Eve, because Adam and Eve explain what happened when Yahweh God no longer walked with them. Enoch walked with God, that's established, and because he walked with God and his ways pleased God, and he had the testimony of faith, meaning, if I please God, then God will take me, and I also will never taste of death. He was taken he was translated, but Adam and Eve were not translated. They had to taste of death, that is a spiritual death, and for that cause, Adam and Eve explained who it was that came along and beguiled them, and also explained what happened after God no longer walked with them. After they were placed outside the Garden of Eden, that is paradise, and cherubs were placed to protect the garden, meaning that they could no longer enter in. Once they were given over to the world, the king of this world, that is the prince of this world, Satan, Sataniel, fallen angel of old, Lucifer, old scratch, whatever term you want to reference him as, it was he who came along and he tempted them continually and caused much discord because they did not have faith. Understand that this same example is there in the very beginning. Adam, more specifically Eve, should have had faith enough in the words of God. They should have understood that when God said, if you eat of this particular tree, you will die. And that was what God did, was it not? But that subtle enchanter, that whispering magic enchanter, according to Strong's Concordance, translated as serpent, that serpent came along and he whispered. He whispered contrary to the teaching of Yahweh God. He came along and he said, yea, hath God said. At that point, it was up to Adam, it was up to Eve to say, yes, God has said. Understand that is a tactic of the lawless one. Lawless one will come along and say, well, did God really say? Is Enoch really scripture? Is it canonized? Because he wants to keep you from certain truths. Adam had a decision that was placed before him by God, nonetheless, but it was placed there. It was life and death. But he must have chosen within one, and he chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of life and death. Not from the tree of eternal life, not from the tree of life that was in the midst of the garden. But he chose a miss. He did not have faith. Because of his faith, he gave up his position in paradise. Because of Cain's lack of faith, or inability to have faith, he became the world's first murderer and slew Abel. But nonetheless, even though Abel was slain, do not think for a moment that he will be part of that company, that first fruits company that overcame the world. Do you not think for a moment that he will be part of the saints that return on that day of the Lord? That same day of the Lord referenced in the first chapter of Enoch that we covered this morning, that same day of the Lord that's referenced in the general epistle of Jude. The great and terrible day of the Lord. Oh, indeed, he will be. So understand that the very first chapter in the very first book in the book of the secrets of Enoch begins as this. It says, there was a wise man, a great artificer, and Yahweh conceived love for him and received him, that he should behold the uppermost dwellings and be an eyewitness of the wise and great and unconceivable and immutable realm of God Almighty, of the very wonderful and glorious and bright and many-eyed station of the Lord's servants, and of the inaccessible throne of Yahweh, 
and of the degrees and manifestations of the incorporeal host, that are the angelic beings of the host of heaven, and of the ineffable ministration of the multitude of the elements, and of the various apparition and inexpressible singing of the host of the cherubim, and of the boundless light. Get it in your mind. Understand, Enoch was taken to bear witness of that light, as every true prophet would be. So it is only a prophet of darkness or a servant of darkness, he who serves the world or his own flesh, who will come along and at least try and tell you not to read the book of Enoch. So come along and understand that for sake of argument, we'll say the book of Enoch is not scripture. That's fine. Case sera, sera, whatever's to be is to be. But does it hurt to read the book of Enoch in a historical sense? Does it hurt to read the book of Enoch and understand why he was taken? Especially when we understand that Enoch is quoted by Jude. And so understand, as I mentioned moments ago, Peter makes references and allusions to the same sentiment that is found in the general epistle of Jude. And if we turn to the second chapter and begin reading in verse 7, we discover that it was God who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But what happened? Let's begin reading. It was Yahweh God who delivered just Lot, even though Lot was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked or troubled. He was consumed by that era. He pitched his tent toward Sodom when Abraham stayed on the plains of Mamre, meaning he had a heart inclined unto it, but nonetheless he was delivered. He was delivered by God. And we understand that this is also another type, God pronouncing judgment upon an unruly city and several cities round about, that is the city of Sodom. But Peter continues in verse 8 of chapter 2, For that righteous man, referencing Lot, dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds, with their iniquity, with their unlawlessness, with their faithlessness. He became vexed. He became troubled. But it continues, Yahweh knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And here he's referencing the Gregory. Here he's referencing the same thing Jude and Enoch do. Who is it that is reserved? Those unjust that are reserved to the day of judgment to be punished? Well, we'll get to that momentarily. But understand, first and foremost, understand that Yahweh is. And if you're to have faith, you must believe that he is. And that is the reason why God knows how to deliver the ungodly out of temptations. Do you have faith in that? Do you believe that God is, first and foremost, and do you believe that God will reward you? Well, if you understand that, you won't come along as these imposter single seed liners and say, I can't control my flesh, boo-hoo, woe is me. Understand that God knows how to deliver who? The godly, the chosen, the elect. He knows how to deliver them out of temptations. And to reserve who? The unjust. That is the apostate. Those are the abominable. He can reserve them unto the day of judgment to be punished. But... Peter will give us a list, and I want you to get this list within your head, because these same people walked during the times of Enoch. Verse 10. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh, and in the lust of uncleanliness, and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Oh, indeed. So, Yahweh God will return with ten thousands of his saints, so forth, will he not, to execute judgment upon those who speak against God. Who speak words amiss according to the word, or say, God hath said when he hath not said. Or those who are faithless enough to put faith within the teachings of man over the teachings of Enoch. Consider that for a moment, dear kinsfolk, before continuing. Peter is referencing here false prophets, and there are many out there within the land who put faith within the words of the false prophets over even Enoch. They're the ones who will come along and say, well, why would you study the book of Enoch? <laughs> I'll tell you why, dear kinsfolk, because I'd rather put faith in the book of Enoch or the book of Jasher or even the lost books, the apocryphal books, those books that man doubts, than in a false, unwritten doctrine or dogma like they follow. And the way of the apostates come along and say the Jews are God's chosen, it's nowhere written in scripture, is it? But it does not stop them from believing it. These are those whom Enoch references. These are those who Peter is referencing here in the second chapter of his epistle. Chiefly, mostly, those who walk after the flesh, those who cannot bring their flesh under subjection, and they despise government, not the governments of man, for Satan loves the world, and the way of the Judeo-Christian is to love the world, got to pay your taxes. Does not matter how many new laws man comes along and passes, well, they wake up and decide, how can I be a better citizen today? For they do not care. 
when Yahweh's laws oppose the word of God, it is these apostate Christians, those who walk after their own flesh, who are justified through those lies, who will despise that government. They love the governments of man. They despise the government of God. And that is the reason why they're reserved under the day of judgment to be punished. Why? Verse 11. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. What angels? The angels that brought the vision to Enoch. The angels that came along and said, this is for you, Enoch, a vision for you to give unto man. For us, not for the angels. We must understand that angels are bound by duty. Angels are soldiers in the uh, first fruit company of God. They cannot come along and bring a railing accusation against the false prophets before Yahweh. Because Satan is considered the accuser of our brethren. And false prophets are simply not our brethren. Indeed, many of them are, but when they go out and they teach ungodly tripe, when they come along and say, Jesus Christ didn't mean what he said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 19, and they start teaching that the law is done away with, then don't be surprised that they are the ones who were swallowed up in judgment. And Enoch attests to this fact. Angels. Angels are greater in power and might than the Gregory, than the Watchers. But understand, these boastful and deceptive false prophets, apostate people that exist in the land are, Created for a purpose, just as Enoch was taken for a purpose. They're created for a purpose, and that purpose is found in verse 12. These, as natural brute beasts, are made to be taken and destroyed. Why? Because they speak evil of the things that they understand not. They shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Their own corruption, not Yahweh God. It's because they chose the lie. They had a heart inclined unto the things of Judaism. They had a heart inclined unto the lie. They wanted their ears tickled. So... What happens? Next verse. They shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are in blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Oh, tear sown in amongst the wheat. They feast with you. They appear outwardly to be a Christian, but they have eyes full of adultery. And how many times in the Praise the Lord groups or the Tribune Broadcasting Network or any of these false prophets that litter the land, how many times have we heard of sex scandals? Crack cocaine charges and so forth. Many worse abominations than these. We hear of them because these are those who will be rooted out of Yahweh's kingdom at the establishment of it. Why? Because they're spots. They're blemishes. They should be marked and they should be cut out like a cancer. That is the law of God, is it not? Many people come along and they say, you know, the end of the world is in 2012. Many come along and they say, end of the world never will be, but... Nonetheless, the point that should be taken away from that is the fact that many will come along and say the end of the world is now, at this date or that date. And they completely overlook the aspect. Consider how Lindsay, the author of the late great planet Earth, he came along in the year 1980 and he said the world would end before 1980 was done. But did it happen? Oh no, indeed. But what's the law of God? The law of God that Jesus Christ was born and died according to and taught as he walked. The law of God says a false prophet who gives a sign or a wonder and it doesn't come to pass should be put to death, but they don't teach that part, do they? Many false prophets within Christian identity are no different. They'll come along and they'll say, well, you don't need to be baptized. Why? Because they are of the pharisaical mindset that they themselves don't have to be baptized. They'll come along and say, well, I'm baptized with fire. I'm baptized with pixie dust. I'm baptized with pop rock candy. But it does not make it so. Understand that scripture straightforwardly says baptism does save us. So be baptized. Don't allow man to come along and spiritualize what is straightforwardly taught within Scripture. Because it will lead you down the downward spiral of self-justification, which leads to apostasy. Man likes to come along and say, well, you know what? I'm a filthy, blazing homosexual. Therefore, Jesus Christ is different than Yahweh God of the Old Testament. Why? Because Yahweh God of the Old Testament says that homosexuals should be put to death. And Yahweh God in the New Testament says they're spiritually dead already. So we understand these teachings. We understand that outside the gate are the infeminate. We understand that the whoremongers are outside the gate also. But don't allow man to come along and tell you not to read the book of Enoch. Don't allow man to tell you that Enoch did something that he did not. And so, this morning, July 26, 2009, I brought you basically the entire King James Bible's teaching on Enoch. Because I want you to understand who Enoch was. And more than understanding who Enoch was or what Enoch wrote, I want you to understand why it was that Enoch pleased God. 
Enoch pleased God because he had faith enough in God. He had faith enough in God and understood the statement that God is. Again, back to our proof text. Back to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Understand that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so we understand that Paul tells Timothy in the second epistle, chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Get this, instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Understand that Enoch is considered scripture. Perhaps not what is canonized, what is accepted by man or taught by the Judeo-Christian, but it confirms what is taught in our books. Therefore, we understand that the majority of it is truth, at least on a historical sense. But Paul tells Timothy what our measure of standard must be. And the measure of standard is Scripture. Why? Because Scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that require, first and foremost? It requires faith. We must have faith in the fact that God, a just God, or a God who rewards the just or the righteous, we must understand that a God who is able to create the world in Genesis chapter 1, to give a man a soul or a spirit, to cause him to become a living being, a God who is in charge of all four seasons, a God who is in charge of space, a God who is omnipotent, and a God who is above all things and all things to all people. We must understand that that God is able to preserve his word as he wants it, so that he can speak through his word in every generation, so that he can speak to you through this Bible, through the King James, through the Amplified, through the Christogenos New Testament, and even through the book of Enoch. Do not limit yourself. Why? Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine. What can we deduct from that? Deduct from this by default that if all scripture is given by inspiration of God and, moreover, that it is profitable for doctrine, then by default, all scripture usurps and is more powerful and more authoritative than the tradition or the teachings of man. That's established, is it not, within this very statement. All scripture is profitable for doctrine and for reproof. That is for debate. That is for the false prophet. Those who are purged at the establishment of Jesus' kingdom that we covered this morning, they can come along and they can say, well, you know, Pastor Visser, I believe that the Jews are God's chosen and I can open the word of God, which is what? Scripture. Mm -hmm. And I can establish doctrine. I can say, okay, well, we can accept that as doctrine if you can prove it. Where is it written? Because why, first and foremost, we have faith within the word. We understand that scripture is given by inspiration of God, and only it is profitable for doctrine. Meaning anything that is not written within the word of God, at least the Bible, is not Christian dogma. It's not a fundamental. So the false prophet can come along and say there's no devil, but yet surprisingly and not so mysteriously, the devil appears within scripture. Satan's there. He's tempting God. What do you put faith in? You should put faith within the word of God, because only it, again, is profitable. But it's profitable for numerous things. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, that is, evidence, for correction, or to restore things to their proper place, correcting false theories or practices, etc., and instruction in the ways of righteousness. The way of the false prophet is to come along and say, well, you don't have to follow the law, not understanding that it's through the law, through our faith, and our faith within the word of God, which is his law, that the man of righteousness is made perfect, that a man here on earth can be made perfect. This was the same testimony that Abel had. This is the same testimony that Enoch and Abraham and so forth. But perhaps most importantly, dear kinsfolk, it's the same testimony you have now. In this latter era, in the year 2009, you have his law. You have access to the book of Enoch. You have access to the lost books, the Protoevangelion, the, the Gospel of Thomas, and the book of Jasher. You have access to this because we live in an age where knowledge is increasing, where wisdom is increasing, and man is simply now without excuse. Very few people in America live without Internet. Very few people do not have television access. That is the reason why we must understand 
that Paul continues in Second Timothy. He says in the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 3, he says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's the time in which we live now. But why is it? What causes mankind to not endure sound doctrine? They will, after their own lusts, heap together for themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Understand that it is Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 17, who says that the word of God is truth. That is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the word of God made flesh. That is the reason why he can much later come along and say, I am the way, I am the life, I am the truth. No man cometh unto the Father except by him. Do you believe that? Do you have faith in that? Many in the world do not. Many will come along and they will say, well, you know, the Jews are God's chosen. It's kind of funny when you consider that the Jews murdered Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said, no man cometh unto the Father except by me, except through me. The way the liberals come along and say that does not sound tolerant. Well, the God that Enoch knew, the God that the forefathers knew here in America, and the God that you should know, that is the God from Scripture, the God of the Word, is very intolerant, very intolerant of numerous things. And I will not get into that list this morning, but safe to assume. Go to the Word. The Word is the most important thing. Man will come along and tell you many things that are not written. And it is up to you to mark each snake. I would put more faith within the words of Enoch than the unproven theories of Hal Lindsey or Joel Olstein or any of the false prophets who come along in this latter era. Because the Word of God is not only profitable for doctrine, it's also our shield of faith. It's our buckler. It's our helmet. It's everything that the Christian person should be girding themselves up with every day. It should be the front lid of our eyes so that when the false prophet can come along and say, you know, there's going to be a rapture. We're going to fly away and God's just going to leave all the wicked here on earth to live out eternal life in eternal bliss in some fiery hell here on earth or what have you. You'll be able to go back to the words of God. You'll be able to go back to the words of Paul that is found in Second Thessalonians where he says, That day shall not come, lest there be an apostasy, a falling away. That time is now, a falling away from the word of God, a falling away from the truth. Enoch is truth, but more specifically the law and the word of God, the King James Bible, is truth. And we should never neglect to share that truth with those who ask us. And so, Dear kinsfolk, with this study on Enoch's walk of faith being completed, I'll tip my hat and I'll be on my way. This is Pastor Visser, airing live on Covenant People's Radio on 91.1 WREK in Atlanta, Georgia, wishing you and yours great studies. War for Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.